Mike uh, was a soldier. Mike, I believe he was 18. We're going to watch a clip where I believe he, he says his age, but uh, Mike enlisted and he was there, you know, the very day that we invaded Iraq. And he um, now spends his days giving speeches and, and taking actions and reporting on the lies that got us into the Iraq war, that got us into Afghanistan, uh, the profiteering and the realities on the ground there in Iraq and Afghanistan. And he, yeah, again, he's, he's a, a true badass, but yesterday, last night, took it to another level. I don't want to give too much away because it's really like best if you just watch it. But George W. Bush, as he does, uh, is giving speeches. And right now he is in the L.A. area. And last night he was uh, in Beverly Hills. So Mike paid him a little visit. Mike paid him a little visit. Um, right during George W. Bush's speech. Mike had some important words to say. Colin, if you can go ahead and play that clip. Dad used him, and he would have said, you're smart people down here before I give you any advice. But he, it was awesome to have him alive. And Mother, of course, uh, was around too. And uh, she Mr. had a Bush, when are you going to apologize for the million Iraqis that are dead because you lied? You lied about weapons of mass destruction. You lied about connections to 9 11. You lied about the Colin, I'm going to have you play that again. This time I want everybody to listen, not only to Mike's words, but listen to what George W. Bush says to Mike during it. You might, it's easy to miss, but listen closely. I used him, and dad used him, and he would have said, say you're smart people down here before I give you any advice. But he, it was awesome to have him alive. And mother, of course, uh, was around too. And uh, she Mr. had- Mr. Bush, when are you going to apologize? For the million Iraqis that are dead because you lied. You lied about weapons of mass destruction. You lied about connections to 9 11. You lied about Iraq being a threat. You sent me to Iraq. You sent me to Iraq in 2003. My friends are dead. Joshua Castillo. You, you killed people. You lied. You lied about WNT. A million Iraqis are dead because you lied. My friends are dead because you lied. So what George Bush says to this Iraq war veteran is to sit down and behave himself. Colin, if you can pull up Mike's tweet that that shows that. So um, here's yeah, we can read actually Colin, we can start at the top of his thread. 
um, where he says, almost, yeah, almost 20 years after he sent me to Iraq, I disrupted George W. Bush's speech tonight. I tried to read a list of names, mostly of Iraqis killed, as well as my friends who became anti-war activists after Iraq and who then died of suicide or other war wounds. They ripped up my list. By the way, I contacted, Mike uh, was going to be on today, and I'll explain why he wasn't able to make it today after all. Well, I can tell you right now. It's because they're doing another action today. Um, there's a, a second uh, speech being given today in a different location. So um, you can pull that back up, Colin. So, um, and I also, he, he emailed me the list of names that he was going to read, the one that they ripped up. So he, he, also, he, he tweeted, um, also on my list of names, the victims in the collateral murder video, shout out to Chelsea Manning, uh, the Nisor uh, Square massacre, as well as U.S. troops killed in Iraq, whose parents then formed the powerful anti-war organization, Gold Star Families for Peace. Bush should never know peace for the lives he destroyed. Then Mike realizes, because when you're there in, in the moment, in, in a moment like that, it's hard to know everything that's going on. So he says, okay, so apparently you can hear in the video, Bush tells me to sit down and behave yourself. Not exactly the apology I asked for. So definitely badass to Mike. So Here's what he says. Nearly 20 years ago in July 2002, I sat behind then President George W. Bush as he gave a speech to my army unit, the 10th Mountain Division. Less than a year later, I was in Iraq on Bush's orders as part of the U.S. invasion. Tonight, as Bush spoke at a so-called Distinguished Speaker Series event in Beverly Hills with the cheapest tickets starting at over $500, I again watched from the crowd before confronting the event. Primarily, I demanded he apologize for the one million or more dead who are only dead because of his lies and his crimes. When George W. Bush took the nation to war in Iraq, he did so with the full knowledge that Iraq possessed none of the weapons of mass destruction he told the country he knew existed. He did so with full knowledge that Iraq posed no threat to the people of the United States, despite his assuring the country that it did. He did so with full knowledge that the Iraqi government had no connection to the September 11th attacks, but he sold the lie that such a connection could exist. I want to play some additional clips to add context. He says, so much you could say to Bush, but this is what inspired me to demand an apology from him. And so we're going to watch a video that, again, uh, Mike says inspired him. And this is of a paralyzed Iraq war veteran's last words to George W. Bush. I swear on behalf of us all, the human detritus, your words are pined. Those who will spend their lives in unending pain and grief. I write this letter, my last letter, to you, Mr. Bush and Mr. Cheney. I write not because I think you grasp the terrible human and moral consequence of your lies. I write this letter because before my own death, I want to make it clear that I and hundreds of thousands of my fellow veterans know fully who you are and what you've done. 
So Mike has been, even before, before this, for a very, very long time, Mike has been traveling the country, even the world, talking about his experiences. And um, while we won't play the whole thing, we'll play about five minutes of it, skipping around a bit. Um, I highly recommend everybody watch the full full thing though. This is Mike in 2012 talking about his experiences. The rules of engagement were such that you could essentially kill anyone you wanted and get away with it and it would be okay. And in a military inundated and indoctrinated with racism and chauvinism that if soldiers or private mercenaries wanted to make Iraq their shooting range, they could do it. But it was beyond uh, an environment that allowed forces to run wild. It was a matter of policy. Um, I remember soldiers from the 4th Infantry Division, who I ended up being attached to an, an armored division that rolled into Tikrit, talking about how when they rolled into the city with tanks and armored vehicles, they rolled in just shooting in all directions. Shooting tank guns, shooting heavy machine guns, just in all directions, to let the Iraqi people knew, know that we were there and that they shouldn't mess with them. Um, soldiers and Marines who've been to Iraq will tell you that some were ordered to shoot anybody carrying a shovel in a country that has a lot of farmers because most of their infrastructure had been destroyed. Anyone carrying a shovel should be shot because maybe they were using it to dig an IED that anyone carrying a cell phone should be shot. These were rules of engagement. Some will tell you of a rule known as a 360 degree fire, which means anytime a bomb goes off or an IED goes off, the standard operating procedure of the orders are to shoot in 360 degrees in all directions, even in civilian areas where civilians were no doubtedly be killed. Uh, I have a little sister who's now 18, so she was eight uh, about at the time I deployed. Uh, I got her name tattooed on my arm before I, before I left. Her name's Rachel. Uh, and we were ordered at this one point to kick these families out of their homes for whatever reason. And there is this eight-year-old girl who looked exactly like my sister. And it was my job to drag her out of her house as she was crying, as her parents were crying, as her siblings were crying, uh, arrest the males in her family, put them on a truck and send them to those detention facilities. And I couldn't stop looking at her face because it was my sister's face. And I realized, you know, that this girl was exactly like my sister, that man who was shot was exactly like my father, and that these people were just like my family. And then so what happened was I couldn't stop seeing that everything that we were doing to the Iraqi people, I was doing to my own family, because they are our family. They're our brothers and sisters. 
There are no words. Gosh, there are absolutely no words. Um, I really hope everybody watches the, the full clip. We'll put it in the description. Okay, so this is out of NPR. Um, I just wanted to, to give everyone an update on what's going on with abortion rights in this country. And it's scary. It's not good. There's no, there are no two ways about it. So again, out of NPR, the Supreme Court sets a date for arguments in case that could challenge Roe versus Wade. This is by Nina Totenberg. And um, forgive me if I pronounce this incorrectly, uh, Krishnadev Kalamur. The Supreme Court will hear arguments December 1st in a case from Mississippi that tests whether all state laws that ban pre-viability abortions are unconstitutional. The case Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization has the potential to pose a serious challenge to Roe v. Wade. That's the 1973 ruling that declared that a woman has a constitutional right to terminate a pregnancy in the first six months of her pregnancy when the fetus is incapable of surviving outside the womb. Mississippi bans most abortions after 15 weeks significantly before fetal viability. In a panel of the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, one of the most conservative in the U.S. blocked enforcement of the law, finding it in conflict with Roe v. Wade and subsequent abortion decisions. Mississippi's law is one of many that conservative states have passed in the last year or more, seeking to eliminate or severely restrict abortion. Bans on pre-viability abortion have been struck down until now in a dozen states since 2019 including Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Montana, Missouri, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Utah, and Tennessee. In May, the court agreed to hear the case. Monday's announcement puts a date on that decision. The court's um, announcement came weeks after the high court allowed Texas to move forward, for now, with a new law to ban abortions after cardiac activity is detected. This happens usually after six weeks, which is often before women know they are pregnant. So there is a lot to that. So first of all, I want to once again highlight the six week thing. Six weeks pregnant really means four weeks because they add on the two weeks since the woman's last period. Um, that is not a lot of time. A lot of women, a lot of women have no idea that they're pregnant at all at that time. The other thing is that um, it doesn't matter what you think about abortion. It, it doesn't because it will always exist and it has always existed. If we eliminate abortion, uh, if we knock down Roe v. Wade, that simply makes it a rich, a rich woman's game. It, it will always be accessible to rich, powerful women. Um, poor women will be harmed by this. It's disgusting. And it's going to get worse. And so what do we do? Well... We keep fighting, we keep talking about it, but really, what do we do? Texas is a disaster right now. Women are fearful. 
there are reports from obstetricians in other uh, states around Texas reporting that folks or women are traveling to them. Well, a poor woman who works three jobs or two jobs or whatever it is can't travel to another state to get their abortion. Um, I, this issue is, is such that Republicans often, well, at least the ones in power don't actually care about it. They only care that it is such a single issue for so many. They only care that they can use us as a talking point. They can use us as a fundraising point. I've already mentioned, you know, I've, I went into a, a DC abortion rights rally or whatever it was, abortion rights exhibit uh, or anti-abortion, excuse me. So pro-life, I went to a pro-life event, which was, it was the weirdest thing ever. It's up on YouTube here somewhere. It was such a weird event. And I outright asked, uh, in particular, Focus on the Family, which is James Dobson's insane Christian, uh, I don't know, it's insane Christian um, organization, let's say, <laughs> to put it nicely. This is what I kind of what I grew up under was this Focus on the Family BS. Um, and I, I said, you know, okay, so you are pro-life, yeah? And so we talked about that for a little bit. And then I said, well, what about uh, the brown children who are being bombed over across the country. What do you think about that? And the girl started texting people and like went over to get her supervisor. And it was like, well, <laughs> this is like a hard question for you. How is this a hard question for you? That's insane. How is this not the easiest? If you are pro-life, how is this not the easiest question in the entire world for you to answer? Just uh, absurd. But I have another another point to bring you some rage. Colin, if you can pull up the tweet blaming 2016 voters. So here's an, uh, this was a tweet. So the uh, Ariane de Vogue tweet says, Justin, Supreme Court will hear a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade in Mississippi case on December 1st. So a... <laughs> <laughs> a Twitter user with a handle, get this, President Biden saved the world. <laughs> like, what? Okay, first of all, no. Um, but then this person goes on to say, way to go, 2016 protest voters. You really showed us. That's uh, not what happened. We, people more progressive than Hillary Clinton, are not the reason the Supreme Court is in shambles. We're not the reason. Uh, this is controversial to say, depending on who you say it to, nobody told Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who I do admire for something, she had terrible shit rulings on other things. Um, no one told her after uh, like having cancer to stay in <laughs> the Supreme Court she very easily could have um, left during Obama's term and had him, you know, have someone else be in the Supreme Court. Why not that? Why is that not blamed? Why are Bernie Sanders voters who voted for Jill Stein or whatever ended up happening? Um, that's what I did. I voted for Jill Stein. I live in a blue state. That's what I did in, in 2016. Why, why are we to blame? That makes no sense at all. It, 
it Jill Stein did not cause this. Jill Stein did not cause Hillary Clinton to lose. That is just not the facts. If you break down the demographics or uh, not, not demographic demographics, but like the voting um, uh, data, it's clear why Hillary Clinton lost. And it's partially due to her own hubris. So go maybe go yell at Hillary. I don't know. Maybe she should have like taken that trek to Wisconsin. Not that hard. I've been to Wisconsin. It's great. Should have gone Hillary. Get some cheese. Win the Supreme Court. You know, all good. Also, hashtag Bernie would have won. Um, <laughs> I digress. It's it's crazy to me that people are still litigating 2016. In some ways, I would almost take the, the 2016 like discourse over what's happened to progressives these days, which I've spoken a lot <laughs> about that, uh, which which is truly just a side note. Um, uh, we were at least like more unified at, at that point. The the uh, result of um, us being smeared as the reason for this is just crazy. It's just crazy. It's just nuts. It doesn't make any sense. Yet they will still say it. They will still blame us. They will still blame progressives. And that's okay. Like we can let that roll off our backs. The uh, <laughs> whatever the guy's scandal was, Joe Biden has saved the world. Guy um, is obviously in, in la la land. He he's not thinking from a from a place of reality. But we do all have to band together and fight against this because it is scary. It's not time to point fingers, although we easily can. It's time to band together and and help women. So this is something that we've covered a lot is the fact that, okay, so there were supposed to be COVID relief funds for a variety of reasons. Um, <laughs> part, <laughs> well, none of those reasons, the reasons were supposed to be to help people, to help Americans, to, to help citizens, to help those who live here. Uh, the reasons were not to, or purportedly not to increase high-tech police surveillance, but that seems to be what's happened. And this has not been widely reported, so I do urge you to share this. Uh, again, this is out of Phoenix, the Phoenix New Times, uh, Katya Schwenk, saying, in Mesa, millions of, um, I guess that's Mesa, Arizona, which I have been to, very beautiful. In Mesa, millions of COVID relief funds will go to high-tech police surveillance. This summer, the city of Mesa announced ambitious plans for a real-time crime center, a 24-7 surveillance hub fitted with a video wall of streaming CCTV cameras at police headquarters. The price tag is high. The technology for the center alone will cost the city over $3 million. Recently, though, the city settled on an innovative source of funding for the project federal COVID relief dollars, which are designated for local public health spending in the city. Hmm, that doesn't seem right, does it? Currently, $3.3 million of the $52 million Mesa received in the American Rescue Plan Act, ARPA, earlier this year is earmarked for the center. The city will still have to foot the bill for staffing, staffing and remodeling without the help of the relief money. Oh, let's, let's shed a tear for them. City leaders say they hope to have the system up and running by December. 
It'll be very high tech. Deputy City Manager Michael Kennington promised the City Council at an August 26th meeting. Mesa's mayor, John Giles, has since greenlit the proposal. The proposal is not particularly anomalous. As cities find themselves swimming in another round of federal relief dollars, plenty of the money is finding its way to law enforcement, encouraged by the direction from the Biden administration to use the funds to help reduce crime. Yeah, that's insane. Swimming Cities are finding themselves swimming in federal relief dollars. You know who is not finding themselves swimming in federal relief dollars? The people, the people who are being evicted, the people who are ill, the people who are really suffering from this pandemic. COVID relief dollars does not need to go to high tech police surveillance. In no world does that make any sense at all. That's just insane. It, it makes no sense. This is infuriating. Again, I have to reiterate, this is not really making news anywhere. I, I don't even remember where I saw this like one random tidbit article in this small town paper. Uh, to continue, uh, let's see. Elsewhere in the country, police departments have purchased everything from all-terrain vehicles to artificial intelligence with virus relief funds. Despite robust opposition, Phoenix gave bonuses to police officers with the money back in April. Um, WTF. Police departments have seen the grant money as a way to pay for all the fancy technology and equipment they've always wanted, uh, God, but never had a reason or the funding to get, said Matthew uh, Gariglia, a policy analyst with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, an organization that monitors law enforcement surveillance. All of a sudden, you have cops saying, you know what? We need to fight COVID. We need drones. <laughs> I mean, God, help me. Mesa, whose police department boasts that its crime rate has dropped to the lowest in recorded history, received a $52 million ARPA grant in May. It was divvied up into different spending categories, public health, health initiatives, economic recovery, and community services, as well as increased pay for some city employees. The $3.3 million dedicated to the Real-Time Crime Center comes out of the pool of $8 million that is meant for public health. Another $160,000 of the public health funds will be used to purchase body scanners for jails. This is the second time COVID funds have boosted Mesa's public safety budget, which also includes the city's fire department. More than half of the $90 million in CARES Act funds Mesa received last year were allocated to public safety. Let's see here. Um, Andre Miller, a pastor and longtime civil rights advocate in Mesa, told Phoenix New Times he found the budget increase to be obscene. Maybe we'll have to try to, to get that guy on um, for sure. Uh, it's not fully clear. So uh, I scrolled down a bit. It's not fully clear exactly what Tech Mesa plans to buy with the $3.3 million. It will fund the video wall of cameras at the center plus integration software. But the city already has CCTV cameras and in May spent $300,000 on another new mobile camera system. Hmm. The Mesa police chief and the city manager did not respond to inquiries from the New Times. Wow. According to the Atlas of Surveillance, which tracks such centers across the country, there's currently only one other real-time crime center in Arizona. On and on. Because they're expensive, because they're big, there's a long history of departments doing anything they can 
can to pay for them and for the technology to file, fill them up. Uh, Gariglia explained, some departments have even used private donors or corporate sponsors. Hmm. Then they link up to as much surveillance as the department has. So far, there has been little dissent from the council or the mayor regarding the proposal. Just one council member, Kevin Thompson, inquired about privacy issues during an initial presentation in June. Um, <laughs> goes on and on. Mesa would disagree. Cunnington says that the city's plans follow federal guidance to bolster public safety with the relief funds. <laughs> yeah, that's not what this is doing. Critics argue that the definition is narrow. Public safety encompasses a lot more, Miller said. As Gariglia put it, there's no way to police yourself out of a pandemic, and there's certainly no way to, to uh, surveil yourself out of a pandemic. I, I don't even know what to say to that story. Where, how far we've fallen from hashtag defund the police, right? When we had hope that the protests surrounding George Floyd's murder at the hands of police, as well as the many murders before and since then of, of black men and black women, Breonna Taylor, uh, for one, how far are we fallen? Now they're using pandemic funds meant for public health to expand the militarization of police. This is absolutely disgusting, disgusting. And it's flying under the radar. And this is just one location. This is just one location. And there are so few journalists who are actually doing this work, like kudos to these journalists in, in Phoenix who uh, dug this up about Mesa. By the way, this area that, that is in reference is um, uh, has a lot of native folk who live around and in. Um, so imagine that, imagine that. And you can bet, which we'll get to, that the funding is not going to go towards finding missing and indigenous women. Hmm, wouldn't that be? You know, if you are really going to use funds like this to boost up public health or safety or whatever you're lying about doing, you could at least pretend to try to find missing um, indigenous women and children. Just saying. It's a prime area. Absolutely a nightmare. So this next topic I didn't, when I, when it first popped up on my feed today, I was trying to figure out, uh, was, is this guy an anti-vaxxer? What's going on? Uh, and then I reread it and no, he's of course not. And I got excited after that because this, this is exactly what progressives should be doing. This is exactly what progressives should be doing. Not fighting against the vaccine, not like lying about the vaccine, which uh, Kim Iverson had a real, a real big one that uh, you can check Jordan's feed at Jordan Sheridan on, on Twitter, where he points out like a very easy to read graph that Kim Iverson flat out lied about and her audience is just soaking up. Um, so instead of stuff like that, so-called progressives need to pay attention to facts and get vaccinated for the good of 
themselves and for the good of other people, because as progressives, we don't just care about ourselves, we care about others. I know I'm preaching to the choir uh, here. Um, I, I, yeah, we've made our, our uh, thoughts on, on the vaccine very well known. But what I've said is why, you know, why would progressives like join in anti-vaccine rallies and like why are you doing this that's why that's insane and it's based on lies uh so instead of what i thought that it might be this tweet this rally is actually exactly what we should be rallying against which is the fact that the united states joe biden and friends bill gates are withholding the vaccine from those who need it in the world, across the world. That is what we as progressives should be fighting against and railing against. These greedy companies, it's not that the vaccines don't work, they of course work. There's a profit incentive for the vaccines to work. So instead of railing against the vaccines, we need to be railing against the vaccines not being given to those who need it across the world. Give it to people. I don't care about your like intellectual property or copyrights or trademarks or whatever. I don't care. We're in a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic, which is, I guess, the definition of pandemic. So whatever. Um, <laughs> but it, it's get it out there. Get it out there. So this protest, these actions are exactly what needs to happen. Colin, you can pop that tweet back up. So this is uh, Chris Martin, who says, join me in protest 920, which was today. Seven months in power, Biden still has no plan for global COVID vaccine access. Billions remain unvaccinated. Millions dying. New variants keep coming. At POTUS and at Health and Human Services, hold knowledge that could catalyze vaccine manufacturing everywhere. Will they share it? So far, the answer is no. Um, and then, Colin, if you can open up the Health Gap Global Access uh, Project link, I'll go through that. So this protest is based off of um, this, this organization. So this is Health Gap. Uh, you can go to healthgap.org, and this is their end vaccine apartheid. Uh, this was their protest. These were the details. This has already happened. So this was at, uh, I've never heard of this plaza, <laughs> Dag um, Hammerus Jold Plaza in New York, New York. Biden said the U.S. would be an arsenal of vaccines against COVID-19. Instead, he's putting drug company greed ahead of saying, saving lives around the world. Join us in anger as Biden prepares to address the UN General Assembly. And so you can see, you know, which folks have, have joined that. Um, but Emily Sanderson has, has written up a bit about what this is about. And again, this is what progressives should be doing. This is what progressives should be fighting against. We refuse to let President Biden continue to fuel the COVID vaccine apartheid with inaction. The unconscionable decision Biden makes every day to allow pharma monopolies to dictate the price and pace of COVID vaccination is perpetuating new infections, needless deaths of people in poor countries, and creating dangerous variants. While billions of people are yet to be unvaccinated, uh, Biden just announced everyone in the U.S. should get booster shots. We are uniting in anger outside the UN General Assembly while President Biden and the leaders of other wealthy nations are in New York. 
join us and demand President Biden immediately expand COVID-19 vaccine manufacturing, break pharma monopolies, ensure sharing of production technologies, and end the false scarcity that perpetuates this pandemic. This is what will get the world vaccinated ASAP, keep people healthy, and stop new variants from emerging and spreading across, across the globe. We demand President Biden actively cooperate with South Africa, India, and other TRIPS waiver proponents to produce a draft WTO TRIPS waiver text and uses all public and private diplomatic means available to press the European, European Union and others to end their opposition and secure swift passage of a comprehensive waiver agreement. Leverage the U.S. government's past public investments, existing legal authorities, and considerable equities to make vaccine firms transfer technology to capable and qualified producers around the world, and launch and fund a global manufacturing plan to increase and democratize vaccine production in hubs worldwide. So that is what took place today. And Colin, if you can pop up the Chris Morton tweet saying scene report from the vaccine apartheid protest. So this is just, I don't have any video, but uh, Colin, if you can like just pop, pull up those photos and people can see. Um, and it seems like it was, you know, decently attended. And then that folks really understand. You can see a sign, President Biden millions are dying. Vaccinate the world now which is so, so important. Um, yeah, more more photos. So yeah, you can, you can check out those links to see what's going on. And I'm glad to see this. I'm really glad to see this, absolutely. I think it's so important. And once again, as, as progressives, uh, we know that the facts are that the vaccine works. Yeah, it really sucks that um, I'm no fan of, of Fauci. I'm no fan of Biden. The fact is that the vaccine works. It really sucks that vac vaccination rates are so low, which is part of why we're having the problems we're having. You can check my Twitter at Jen Elizabeth J on, on, again on, on Twitter <laughs> uh, for more of my thoughts on that. But it, it does work and it works better if everybody has it. So one of the uh, pieces of misinformation out there is people saying, you know, oh, if you're vaccinated, why do you care if I am? Well, because vaccines are, of course, not 100% infallible. Of course not. And I think that uh, Biden and Fauci could have done a much better job of explaining not only that, but the fact that the science, the technology behind this vaccine is not brand new. They didn't just pull this out of their behinds. Uh, the vaccine works. I really think everybody should read the book uh, How to Lie with Statistics because some, including some purportedly on the left, are doing a really bang up job of, of lying with statistics. So um, yeah, it, we should be fighting for those in other countries, not yelling about the vaccine. So this is uh, Shayla Davis saying, I'm shaking reading about the discovery of Gabby Pettito's body in Wyoming. While we're watching this case unfold, please take five seconds to read about Daniel Robinson, a geologist who went missing in the desert outside Buckeye three months ago. His father is still looking for him. So this is something that I want to highlight. Um, Gabby Pettito got insane media coverage. She got her own subreddit, her own discord chats, 
a lot of things, a lot of people's attention were, were driven by this. And, and in my opinion, rightly so. Now, uh, it feels almost ghoulish to mention this, but I have to. Um, it's partially or largely because she's she was a very attractive young white blonde girl that she got this much attention. I mean, it's a literal phenomenon um, that has been studied of pretty white girls who go missing and getting enormous attention. So I, I don't bring that up to diminish Gabby's memory at all. This is horrifying. I am so sorry to her family. This is awful. So this is CNN. Uh, FBI spends hours searching family home of Gabby Petito's fiance, Brian Laundry as he remains missing. The FBI tweeted Monday evening that the search was finished, but the investigation is going. Meanwhile, investigators are still searching for Laundry, who returned to the Florida home without Petito earlier this month, declined to talk to investigators, and then went missing last week. The search for him had centered on a nearby nature reserve, but investigators shifted their focus after they exhausted all avenues in searching the grounds there, Northport Police spokesperson Josh Taylor said Monday. On Sunday, human remains that officials believed to be of Petito's were found in an undeveloped camping area in Wyoming's Bridger Teton National Forest on the eastern edge of Grand Teton National Park. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to this case. It's a real rabbit hole. It's a real rabbit hole. It's really, really sad. It's, it's just horrible. Uh, so I, I hope we find more information out. I hope that if indeed he is the one who did it, I, I, I can't say he did because I don't have those facts, but um, as a person, if I'm gonna, you know, look at look at the circumstances and, lo and look at everything that's happened, you know, why is he on the lam? Uh, just saying. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'm gonna keep up with with Gabby's story, but Jordan and I have long wanted to do a series on a report, a reporting series on um, missing and murdered indigenous women and children. I would like to also do children because it's a truly disgusting, horrible phenomenon. And so as we've talked about, you know, it's, it's an actual study phenomenon that, you know, the world, our country pays attention to missing pretty white girls and not anyone else. So Colin, if you can pull up the stats on indigenous people so, you know it's not shocking but it i'll go ahead and use that word <laughs> it's shocking to really see it in print so one second here 710 indigenous this is out of insider.com by kelsey uh, vlamis 710 indigenous people are missing in wyoming where gabby pettido disappeared so let that settle <laughs> Let that settle. 710 indigenous people are missing. Uh, the disappearance of Gabby Pettito, possibly in Wyoming, has caused a national outcry. Um, but in the same state, 710 indigenous people were reported missing from 2011 to 2020. Despite the extent of the issue, missing and murdered indigenous people get less media coverage. Uh, silence is violence. No, Gabby Pettito is not Native American. 
she is um, a, a, she was, excuse me, a very beautiful, thin white girl, um, which doesn't diminish her her death or the importance of covering it, but it does um, make it clear that indigenous um, folks who go missing, especially women, do not get covered. So that is what I'm highlighting right now, is, is the fact that while Gabby Petito got all of this media coverage, got her own forums set up, her own subreddits, there are actually 710 Indigenous people, mostly girls, who are missing from the same area where Gabby was found. So getting right into the actual article, uh, the disappearance of Gabby Petito launched a social media frenzy and nonstop media coverage since she was, she was reported missing possibly from the state of Wyoming. So this is an older article um, before she was found. Uh, but hundreds of cases of indigenous people reported missing in the exact same state over the past decade have not been met with the same furor. At least 710 indigenous people, mostly girls, went missing in Wyoming from 2011 to 2020. Uh, this according to a January report published by the state's Missing and Murdered Indigenous People Task Force. The vast majority, 85%, were kids, while 57% were female. The report found 50% of missing Indigenous people are found within one week, while 21% remain missing for 30 days or longer. Only 11% of white people remain missing for that long, according to the report. Petito, a 22-year-old white woman from New York, was uh, reported missing on September 11th. Her family had last spoken on the phone, so we had gone over that. Um, Wind River is the only reservation in the state, home to thousands of Shoshone and Arapaho Indians. But the report found indigenous people have been reported missing in 22 out of the state's 23 counties, making it a statewide problem. The report also looked at media coverage, finding only 30% of indigenous homicide victims even made the news compared to 51% of white victims. When the murders of indigenous people were covered, the news reports were overly graphic compared to white people. The missing and murdered indigenous persons movement has received increased attention in recent years. Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon established the missing and murdered indigenous persons tax task force in 2019 after being pressured by advocates to address the problem. So that's just one kind of angle. Um, and this is something, once again, Jordan and I plan to do a lot more reporting on this because the number of women and children, uh, indigenous women and children who, who go missing is so disturbing and it's very much underreported. So even those statistics take with a grain of salt, it's very, very underreported. Uh, next, I want to go back to that, um, the gentleman we talked about before. So this is Daniel Robinson. And so if you can pull the Newsweek article up, Colin, this is a black gentleman who is missing and of course did not get anywhere near the coverage that Gabby Petito got. Gabby Petito case sparks appeal over unsolved disappearance of Arizona man by Jack uh, Beresford of Newsweek. The discovery of a body believed to be that of 22-year-old Gabby Petito has prompted fresh appeals for help in locating missing man Daniel Robinson. On Sunday, the FBI confirmed that the human remains consistent with a description of Petito were discovered in the Spread Creek area of Wyoming. 
In the wake of the discovery, Shayla Davis took to Twitter to shine a light on Robinson's disappearance. And so we've already read that tweet. Uh, she's received a lot of um, retweets and likes. Daniel was first reported missing on June 23rd. He was last seen earlier that day, leaving a job site near Sun Valley Parkway and Cactus Road in this 2017 Blue Jeep Renegade with uh, license plate NLA2CMA. A field geologist who moved to Phoenix for his work, Daniel regularly worked on sites in remote desert locations, often in extreme conditions. He is described as five foot eight with black hair and brown eyes and does not have a right forearm or hand. According to the Buckeye Police Department, Daniel did not tell anyone on site where he was going or why he was leaving. On July 19th, his Jeep was discovered near a ravine close to where he was last seen. The vehicle had sustained significant damage. The airbags had been deployed and initial evidence indicated the driver had been wearing a seatbelt. Several of Daniel's personal effects, including clothes, a cell phone, wallet, and keys were also found in the vehicle. Later that month, on July 31st, a human skull was found in an area south of where the Jeep was found. However, subsequent tests determined that it was not Daniel's. Investigators have ruled out the possibility of foul play due to the damage sustained by Daniel's car. That doesn't seem uh, like a good reason to me. According to WIS, private investigator Jeff McGrath has been hired to look into the disappearance and has uncovered several potentially key details. Data from the Jeep's black box reportedly showed the vehicle was driven 11 miles after the initial crash and that there were, in fact, multiple crashes. The data also showed the car was cranked more than 40 times after the initial crash, indicated that someone may have been potentially trying to uh, repeatedly to start the engine again. In addition to the GoFundMe page, David has also created an online petition calling for the police department to look more closely into his son's disappearance. David told WIS, the problem is they think he wrecked his Jeep, undressed at the cash site, joined a monastery to become a monk, and that's the theory they stand on no matter what. So I encourage people to look up his case and to put as much oomph behind it as everyone did for Gabby Pettito. Um, and we all have to know that there are so many missing people. And it's simply a fact that if that person is native or brown or black, then the search is not going to be as thorough as it was for, for Gabby. Um, and may Gabby rest in peace. A lot of people, a lot of liberals, a lot of blue Dems would have you believe that um, Biden is, you know, a hero and, and Trump is a monster. Well, let's be clear. Trump is a monster. So is Biden. Uh, nowhere near as much of a monster, but he's still a monster. And you know how we know he's a monster? Well, maybe you wouldn't know if it weren't for status quo, because it's really not being covered like it would be under Trump. This is what's happening at the border of Haitians who are trying to get in to the United States. Just uh, so that's Border Patrol, literally. <laughs> oh, God. Is this 400 years ago? What's happening? Like, this is this is America under Biden? What? This is insane.
Uh, now, Colin, if you can pull up the um, Black House News video that they posted of this. We're having a hard time. Our family sends us money, but we can't eat. We have children, but don't have diapers. Look, now I have to cross to the Mexican side with wet money to be able to buy things for the child, and we have nothing. We're unable to eat. I need help with everything that's happening to us over there because there are a lot of children, and they're only removing the single parents, and the children are left alone. Just imagine. God, I just, ugh. And, and liberals don't care. Bidenites, Hillary stands don't care because this is not happening under Trump. Or maybe they would care if they saw it, but the media doesn't care to show it if it's not Trump doing this. Like, can you imagine that the hashtags and the outrage from the, resi the resistance Twitter accounts if this were, if this footage were gotten under Trump. I mean, God, man. So um, let's go through the Washington Post piece, Colin. The hypocrisy is simply astounding, simply astounding. Washington Post by uh, Felicia Sanmez, White House House Homeland Security Chair denounced horrific mistreatment of Haitian migrants by Border Patrol officers. Um, the White House and hold on one second. My copy has a pop up of it. The White House and the chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee on Monday voiced concern over photos and reports appearing <laughs> appearing to show. Yeah, no, it, it does show. Uh, U.S. Border Patrol officers on horseback mistreating Haitian immigrants near the Rio Grande, calling the images horrific. Their statements came one day after the Biden administration began deporting people from the makeshift camp where nearly 14,000 migrants have gathered beneath a South Texas bridge. One photo by photojournalist Paul uh, Ratney shows a Border Patrol officer on horseback grabbing the shirt of a Haitian migrant holding bags of food and trying to enter an encampment near the river. Other footage shows mounted border patrol officers chasing migrants away. One of the officers can be seen swinging at one of the migrants with what appears to be a strap connected to the horse's bridle. This is what your country's expletive because you use your women for this. Another of the officers can be heard saying to the migrants according to footage published by Al Jazeera English. Representative Benny G. Thompson, chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, denounced the officer's behavior in a statement Monday. Video and photos coming out of Del Rio showing U.S. Border Patrol's mistreatment of Haitian migrants along the border are horrific and disturbing, Thompson said. This mistreatment runs counter to our American values and cannot be tolerated. Does it run counter to our American values or is this exactly what our American values are? 
He called on Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas to take immediate action to hold those responsible accountable and ensure that all migrants are treated in accordance with the law and basic decency, as this administration has promised to do since day one. Mm, it rises from the top, guys. It rises from the top. During a press availability in Del Rio, Texas, Monday, Mayorkas was asked whether the images showed inhumane treatments by the Border Patrol officers. Mayorkas responded that reporters are assuming facts that have not yet been determined. Hmm. Um, it's pretty easy to determine facts when you have footage and photographs. He added that Border Patrol officers sometimes use long reins to ensure control of the horse. I'm sorry, I didn't realize that um, Black Haitian men and women and children are horses. This is absurd. And that we are going to investigate the facts to ensure that the situation is as we understand it to be. Yes. Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz said he believed it was likely the officers were trying to control the horses so that no migrants would get injured as they were trekking across the river. And that any actions they took were in the name of security. I mean, are you kidding me? This is absurd. People cannot stand for this. And as we witnessed in some of the videos and pictures, the migrants were going back and forth, Ortiz said. We do not know who are the smugglers and who are the migrants. So it is important that these border patrol agents maintain a level of security for the migrants and for themselves. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki fielded several questions about the images during Monday's news briefing. Psaki described the footage she has seen as horrific, but said she is seeking more context and information on the events that took place. I have seen some of the footage, Saki told reporters. I don't have the full context. Uh, oh my God. I can't imagine, well, <laughs> let's take a look at uh, our actions in, in Haiti for some more context. How about that, Denzaki? I can't, let's, let's circle back to that. I can't imagine what context would make that appropriate, but I don't have additional details. I don't think anyone seeing that footage would think it's acceptable or appropriate. Asked whether she believes action should be taken against the officers involved, Saki responded, of course, they should never be able to do it again. <laughs> my God. Oh, my God. I don't know what the circumstances would be. It is obviously horrific, the footage. I don't have any more information on it. Deteriorating social and economic conditions in recent years in Haiti worsened recently. Uh, I don't know why they put that word in there by the pandemic have become too hostile to bear for some migrants. Yeah, Felicia Sanez, why don't you say why conditions have worsened in, in Haiti in recent years? Hmm, prompting them to join a persistent exodus to the northern half of the Americas. While it's not clear how or why thousands of specifically French, Creole, and Spanish-speaking Haitians converged simultaneously at one isolated outpost on the US-Mexico border, what is clear is that many of their migration stories began long ago. Theirs is an unending tale of displacement, discrimination, and deportation that many had hoped would end in Del Rio, Texas, and lead to a permanent home. Oh my. I cannot even begin to like explain how furious I am about the, the framing of that Washington Post article, first of all, absurd, and the fact that the, the official statements are what they are, and that reporters are just like, okay, cool. Like, let's just, let's just report this like it is. Like, yeah, obviously, as journalists, we have to say, like, what the comments were, but we also have to say what reality is. Like, 
Haiti didn't magically start having problems on its own. <laughs> it's like it's it's not magic. It's it's us. It's us. And now here we are whipping Haitians, women, black women and children and men for trying to live, for trying to live, live. That's it. For trying to live. We're disgusting. Biden's disgusting. He needs to take responsibility for this. He wanted to be president. Well, here you are. You're president, Biden. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? Um, Biden is like, it's insane to me, the, the so-called progressives who are saying that uh, Biden is worse than Trump. Like, that's just literally crazy and, and nonsensical. That doesn't mean that Biden is good. Clearly he's not. Look at this. Look at what's happening under his watch. He needs to be held accountable. And I hope uh, Resistance Twitter wakes up and starts doing it and starts helping to hold him accountable. I cannot. Like, this country is such a disaster. Our COVID response is a disaster. Our treatment of migrants is a disaster. Our police policing is a disaster. Um, it's easy to see why people are getting so discouraged and why there are such mental health issues lately. Increasingly, increasingly. It's really devastating and hard.